So your question today, this one's kind of a fun one. You have to think a little bit about it. So your get acquainted question is this. If you could choose your age forever, <laughs> what age would you choose and why? All right, so if you could choose your age forever, what age would you choose and why would you choose that particular age? All right, you have about five minutes.
All righty. Kind of make your way back to your seats. That would be lovely. Before we uh, before we get into the message, there was something I wanted to do this morning. Um, God just placed this on my heart. Um, I want, would like us as a body to pray for our governor. Um, you know, I don't know what all the answers are to this. I don't know that he does either. He obviously did something that was grievous. Um, but at the same time, I cannot imagine the pressure that he must be under. Um, just... And None of us, I think, even have a clue of what that kind of scrutiny must be like to endure. And so, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you voted for him or not, we certainly, I would think, none of us agree with what he did if he did indeed do that. But at the same time, he's a human being. He makes mistakes, just like all the rest of us do. And um, God forgives him of those. And so if, I c if you would just join with me in, in a, a, a brief prayer for uh, Governor Northam. So Father, we left our governor up to you. Lord, judgment is yours and yours alone. And so we do not sit or stand in judgment of him. Father, we simply lift him up before you and ask that you would comfort him, that he would feel your presence and your peace in the midst of the intense storm that he is in the middle of. Father, help him and his wife and his family find comfort in you. Give him wise counsel that he may uh, choose to do the right thing for himself and for our state. We just bless him, Lord. We thank you for him. We thank you for uh, his years of uh, public service as a physician. So be with him now. Guide and direct him in the next steps that he will take and help him choose wisely. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Well, I'd like to begin by telling you a story uh, and the story appeared in one of Max Licato's books. And uh, actually, it was sent to me uh, by Jen Motzinger uh, this past week as she sort of sensed that it might be fitting with what we are talking about in this series. So thank you. So here's the story as related by Pastor Max. A few nights ago, a peculiar thing happened. An electrical storm caused a blackout in our neighborhood. When the lights went out, I felt my way through the darkness into the storage closet where we keep the candles for nights like this. Through the glow of a lit match, I looked up on the shelf where the candles were stored. There they were, already positioned in their stands, melted to various degrees by previous missions. I took my match and lit four of them. How they illuminated the storage room. What had been a veil of blackness suddenly radiated with a soft golden light. I could see the freezer I had just bumped with my knee. I could see my tools, 
that needed to be straightened. How great it is to have light, I said out loud, and then spoke to the candles. If you do such a good job here in the storage closet, just wait till I get you out of here where you're really needed. I'll put one of you on my table so we can eat. I'll put one of you on my desk so I can read. I'll give one of you to Denelin so she can cross-stitch. And I'll set you, and I took down the largest one, in the living room where you can light up the whole area. I felt a bit foolish talking to candles, but what do you do when the lights go out? I was turning to leave with the large candle in my hand when I heard a voice. Now hold it right there. I stopped. Somebody's in here. Well, then I relaxed. Well, it's just Denlin te teasing me for talking to the candles. Okay, honey, cut the kidding, I said in the semi-darkness. No answer. Hmm, maybe it was the wind. I took another set step. Hold it, I said. There was that voice again. My hands began to sweat. Who said that? I did. The voice was near my hand. Who are you? What are you? I'm a candle. I looked at the candle I was holding. It was burning a strong golden flame. It was red and sat on a heavy wooden candle holder that had a firm handle. I looked around once more to see if the voice would be coming from another source. There's no one here but you, me, and the rest of the candles, the voice informed me. I lifted up the candle to take a closer look. You won't believe what I saw. There was a tiny face in the wax. I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Not just a wax face that someone had carved, but a moving, functioning, flesh-like face full of expression and life. Don't take me out of here. What? I said, don't take me out of this room. What do you mean? I have to take you out. You're a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. People are stubbing their toes and walking into walls. You have to come out and light up the place. But you can't take me out. I'm not ready, the candle explained with pleading eyes. I need more preparation. I couldn't believe my ears. More preparation? Yeah, I've decided to research this job of light giving so I won't go out and make a bunch of mistakes. You'd be surprised how distorted the glow of an untrained candle can be. So I'm doing some studying. I just finished a book on wind resistance. I'm in the middle of a great series of tapes on wick buildup and conservation. I'm reading the new bestseller on flame display. Have you heard of it? No, I answered. You might like it. It's called Waxing Eloquently. <laughs> that really sounds inter... I caught myself. What am I doing? I'm in here conversing with a candle while my wife and daughters are out there in the darkness. All right, then, I said. You're not the only candle on the shelf. I'll blow you out and take the others. But just as I got my cheeks full of air, I heard other voices. We're not going either. <laughs> it was a conspiracy. I turned around and looked at the three other candles each with flames dancing above a miniature face. I was beyond feeling awkward talking to candles. I was getting miffed. You are candles, and your job is to light dark places. 
Well, that may be what you think, said the candle on the far left, a long, thin fellow with a goatee and British accent. You may think we have to go, but I'm busy. Busy? Yes, I'm meditating. What? A candle that meditates? Yes, I'm meditating on the importance of light. It's really enlightening. That was really a bad joke. I decided to reason with them. Listen, I appreciate what you guys are doing. I'm all for meditation time, and everyone needs to study and research. But for goodness sakes, you guys have been in here for weeks. Haven't you had enough time to get your wick on straight? <laughs> and you other two, I ask, are you going to stay here as well? Well, a short, fat, plump candle with a uh, purple candle with plump cheeks that reminded me of Santa Claus spoke up. I'm waiting to get my life together. I'm not stable enough. I lose my temper easily. I guess you could say that I'm a hothead. <laughs> the last candle had a female voice, very pleasant to the ear. I'd like to help, she explained, but lighting the darkness is not my gift. This was all sounding too familiar. Not your gift? What do you mean? Well, I'm a singer. I sing to other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. Without asking my permission, she began a rendition of This Little Light of Mine. <laughs> I have to admit, she had a good voice. The other three joined in, filling the storage room with singing. Hey, I shouted above the music, I don't mind if you sing while you work. In fact, we could use a little music out there. They didn't hear me. They were singing too loudly. So I yelled louder, Come on, you guys, there's plenty of time for this later. We've got a crisis on our hands. They wouldn't stop. I put the big candle on the shelf and took a step back and considered the absurdity of it all. Four perfectly healthy candles singing to each other about light but refusing to come out of the closet. I had all I could take. One by one I blew them out. They kept singing right to the end. The last one to flicker was the female. I snuffed her right out in the puff part of won't let Satan puff me out. I stuck my hands in my pockets and walked back out into the darkness. I bumped my knee on the same freezer. Then I bumped into my wife. Where are the candles, she asked. They don't, they won't work. Where did you buy those candles anyway? Oh, they're church candles. Remember the church that closed down across town? I bought them there. I understood. See, the point of the story is that candles are made to serve the needs of people who are in darkness. When they fail to do what they were made to do, darkness wins. Paul is making a similar argument in the passage from 1 Corinthians 12 that we're going to look at today. When members of the body fail to do what they were made to do, the entire body can't do what it was intended to do, which is to serve the needs of the people who are in darkness. And again, darkness wins. Darn, I had such a nice picture of candles for you all to look at. Oh well. On to 1 Corinthians 12. 
So we're in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, starting with verse 12 through verse 18. Familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, Paul's issuing three statements here, which kind of sets up the basic structure of his analogy. First of all, he talks about the human body being a unit, that um, even though it is a single unit, it has many, many parts to it. Okay. Uh, second, just as the human body has many parts, it's the same thing with the body of Christ. All right? And the body of Christ really can refer to a lot of different things. The body of Christ can refer to the church, big capital C, church, ent entirety, in its entirety. It can also refer to this group right here. This is the body of Christ. This is a local body of Christ, right? And so, and Paul often called the church the body of Christ. That was a familiar um, phrase that he used. And what he's doing is he's pointing to the unity in diversity that really exists within the church that is Christ's body. And third, Paul explained how Christ's body resembles the human body. And so to emphasize this diversity within the church, he emphasizes uh, or he mentions racial and social diversity first. Okay. He mentions Jews and Greeks, and then slaves and free. But he's saying that they all contribute to the church. It didn't matter what had previously separated you know, these people. And there were huge differences in those, just in those two categories that he mentioned. His point was that they had all been joined together by means of this one spirit. And so then Paul emphasizes two experiences of the Holy Spirit that all believers share and that bring unity to them. And it's that way with all of us as well. First of all, they were all baptized by one spirit. And second, they are all given the one spirit to drink. Now, some commentators will argue against this, but the context of what Paul is saying here, I think, and others agree, clearly points to baptism, not Holy Spirit baptism necessarily, but just baptism and Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. So he's really sort of saying that those are the two things that join us together in unity. And it's interesting, I think, the way Paul presents his argument here. He, he, he assumes the unity of the church based on the Spirit. Okay, And so in our times, in our, we have kind of a modern, fragmented church. And many people look at diversity as an obstacle to be overcome in the quest for unity. But from Paul's perspective, unity was to be sought in the spirit, not in uniformity. And so the church's fullness and its ability to function properly really depends on all of the diverse manifestations of the spirit. And you all bring something to that. All right. Next, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, uh, because I am not a, uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it 
any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So he's next turning to, this again, this body imagery to illustrate the importance that we've got to have the same regard for all the different parts of the body. That there is none that is elevated above another. He, and obviously there was some disharmony that was going on within the Corinthian church, which is what brought Paul to sort of talk about this in the first place. Um, he, he sort of presents two scenarios that convey his outlook on what was going on in Corinth. Um, first, he sort of imagines that there were parts of the body that were thinking too lowly of themselves, right? Foot may say to itself, well, I, you know, I don't belong to the body because I'm not a hand. You know, I can't do all the things that a hand can do. So I, I'm not worthy to be a part of this body because I don't have those gifts. Well, what he's saying is that even if it should think that way about himself, that itself, it doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And the same would be true of an ear which felt it not, did not belong to the body because it were not an eye. And so, by analogy, Paul is saying that Christians aren't cut off and, and, and can't say they don't belong to the body of Christ just because they think they have no importance or no place to serve. That's such wrong, that is such wrong thinking. Such wrong thinking. To think that there's only a, 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 you know, a handful of places to serve in our body, it's just silly. Each part of the body makes a unique contribution to the whole. And he's saying, well, how foolish it would be to think if the whole body were just one part. And the implication here is that um, by what's in the rest of the text, that this, the thing that Paul is kind of talking about is speaking in tongues. The Corinthians held great value in that, and that was kind of what I get the sense of. They were putting that gift on a pedestal and saying, you know, this is, you know, the thing. This is what makes you Christian or cool. I don't know. <laughs> but they hold, held it in very high esteem. And there, it clearly, you know, there were those that who didn't who were going, well, then I guess I just don't belong here. And what Paul is really arguing against that. He's saying, no, that's absolutely not true. And one might also sort of expect Paul, you know, he might have reversed the, the perspective in this section by maybe attacking those that valued themselves too highly, like those who spoke in tongues and were maybe lording it over the rest, you know, that didn't. Um, as opposed to maybe what he did, which was to address the ones that were thinking too little of themselves. And I'm, you know, you could speculate that he took this approach for a couple of reasons. He wanted to make doubly certain that the arrogant Christians weren't, had no basis at all for discriminating against anybody else. And secondly, he probably recognized the harm that that kind of discrimination does to his victims, and so he wanted to build up the ones that were being abused in that way, you know, and really help them to see that they had value, had great value, uh, that God saw that they had great value, even if there were those in the church that uh, didn't. 
All right, verse 18, to close this passage. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And once again, you know, the foolishness of the argument that he's making simply indicates the fact that it was God that arranged it that way. God put all those parts together. He put the ones that those were considering to be lesser parts in their function, just as he put the ones that maybe seemingly had a more important role. God made them just exactly as he wanted them to be. And I've said this before, but I have never felt more amazed and more certain of God's creation than when my friend, who is both a pastor and a physician, talks about the human body. I sit there and I listen to what he says. And I mean, Kevin has pretty much a photographic memory, and so he can recall you know, everything that he learned in, in med school, even this many years later. And he talks about you know, just one particular system and how it functions and how this and that, and these things are doing that and these other things. Are, and it's just, you just sit there like. And, you know, for me, it just blows my mind that someone <laughs> could sit and listen to that in particular and go, well, that just happened. All shazam, Gomer. It just showed up one day <laughs> by chance. God made it that way, and everything has purpose. God made this body the same, and everything here has purpose. And so you know, this divine coordination of all these diverse parts is so essential to the function of the body that Paul asks this one last question. If every part of the body were one part, all eyes, all ears, all feet, what would the body be? Well, it would be a monstrosity. <laughs> it would not be able to do anything. There would be no body. And so to drive home the point, Paul repeats this theme. Human beings have one body, but that body needs all of its many parts. Every part is important in its own right, and to that I would simply add that the church, the body of Christ, is absolutely no different. So, big idea that I want you to take away from this is simply that you, 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 make up an important part of the body of Christ. And your role is crucial for a healthy, growing church. So what lesson do you think Paul is trying to drive home with this teaching? Or more specifically, what lesson could this church, Harmony Vineyard, take from what he's saying here in these few verses? I would say the first one is this. We're all in this together. And when I say that we're all in this together, what exactly are we all in? Well, we're all in one body, correct? 
I mean, that's what this text is telling us, that we're all part of one body. That's kind of what we're in. So maybe a better way to ask the question is, what's the purpose? We're all, if we're all in this one body, well, why? Why are we all in this one body? So, with that, what is our body, the church, supposed to do? What is the purpose of the church, this church or any other church? And I'm not asking this rhetorically, so you may answer. Okay. Sorry? To do the stuff? Okay. All right. Right? Doing what you're doing good. Don't stop. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. There you go. All right. Very good. Very good class. I really like a definition that I recently came across, and it's sort of all of what you said is sort of encapsulated in this definition. But the definition is this. The church exists for God's glory and God's mission. The church exists for God's glory and God's mission. Okay, so what is not the purpose of the church? If we take that as our, as our up-top definition, the church exists for God's glory and God's mission, what is not the purpose of the church? Well, you could make an argument that fellowship is not the purpose of the church. It's a nice byproduct, but it's not the purpose. You could make a point that Bible studies are not the purpose of the church. They are important. Do not hear me say otherwise. They're not the purpose. Still with me? Everybody tracking? Okay. Potluck dinners are not the purpose of the church. This is no lie. I heard a speaker recently say that he had a friend who was a pastor who told him that some individual in the church left the church because they weren't having enough potluck dinners. I'll see y'all later. <laughs> Kids ministry is not the purpose of the church. Ooh. It's not. Not given the definition that I just gave you and that you basically were giving to me. Building maintenance isn't the purpose of the church. There's a lot of churches that think that, though. There's a lot of churches out there, and I would put these in the dead and dying category, that think they exist solely to maintain this wonderful, beautiful building that they've got. And God help the person that tries to move something. Or put something up on the wall that wasn't approved by the committee that approves wall art. Okay? This church body, Harmony Vineyard Church, has two jobs. To glorify God and to do what we can to fulfill his mission, which is making disciples. That's it. Two jobs. Here's an interesting quote for you. William Temple was a former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he said this about the church. 
The church is the only organization organized primarily for the benefit of its non-members. Think about that one for a minute. The church is the only organization organized primarily for the benefit of its non-members. Church exists to glorify God and to fulfill his mission. Neither one of those directly have anything to do with us. Is not focused on us is what I mean to say. William Temple was an Archbishop of Canterbury some time back. We exist to worship and to serve others, not ourselves. And the best, probably the most fulfilling way to do that is as a body, is to do it together. We're all in this together. One of us is not going to be nearly as effective as all of us. It's just not the way it works. Being part of the body and performing whatever role you have is the opportunity to be part of something that's greater than yourself. And honestly, I think we all strive for that. We all want to get involved in something that's bigger than us. Sort of a divine purpose, if you will. It gives us that opportunity to put aside whatever it is that you might be dealing with personally and to do something that has lasting value. And that is to advance the kingdom of God. It helps us remember that it isn't all about us. We're all in this together. Second, united we stand, divided we fail. Felt like it was important. It's not just fall, it's fail. There's an old African proverb, which I know you've heard, that talks about it takes a village to raise a child. Okay. I mean, it's, um, it doesn't really say that the, the entire village has personal responsibility for each child. What it's saying is that the, it's the village that all contributes to the child's education and to the child's well-being. And it's interesting, there was a study done on this and of a, a variety of different African tribes and villages, and they all had a saying that was very, very similar to this. It wasn't the same but it was very, very much the same in terms of its what the message that it was sending. And so if I were to revise that statement for our purposes, I would say that it takes a church to reach a community. It takes a church to, to reach a community. See, it's not the senior pastor, moi, engaging on in the mission and then having the church staff and all of you stand on the sidelines and go, get them, Jeff, you go get them. You bring them in here, get them all cleaned up, and we'll love on them. Now, it's also not the mission of the senior pastor and the church staff engaging in the mission with all of you on the sidelines going, go, John, 
Go, Andre. It's not the senior pastor, and it's not the church staff, and it's not the 20% that typically do 80% of the work engaging in the mission with the other 80% cheering them on. It is every person using every gift God has given them working together that will get the job done. And in doing this, we can't think more of ourselves or less of ourselves. That's what Paul was talking about. I know a lot of people have, you know, expressed, and this isn't a huge thing, but they have trouble calling me Jeff. They feel that there's a need, and I understand about respect and, and all of that. It's got to be Pastor Jeff and so forth. But I have always tried to, to sort of encourage that because I didn't want to set myself up as any better than any of the rest of you. I've been called to do this job, and, and I'm being obedient to God by doing it. But it doesn't set me above any of you doesn't make me more spiritual or, or more worthy or anything like that. None of us can claim that. It's the old body thing. The eye, the, you know, even the brain could do nothing if it didn't have those connections that the nerves provide to send its signals to all the other parts of the body to actually do the work. And here's what I want you to hear out of this. Completing God's mission and making disciples not only takes every one of us, but that we have got to fight and pray and battle that nothing divides us because in that division is failure. Right? We as a body, and uh, you know, me as its leader, we have thrown the gauntlet down. Last Sunday, we threw the gauntlet down. We said, we're not standing for the status quo any longer. We are going to go after people. My personal goal, which is going to become your personal goal, is that in five years, this church is over 200 people. Okay, that's, the op that's what I'm operating under. All right? Satan does not like that goal. Satan will do anything and everything possible to make sure that does not happen. We have said the kingdom of God will advance here. That does not make him happy. So he is going to come after us every which way. And the best way for him to render a body ineffective is to get the parts fighting with one another. Through jealousy. Through gossip. Through petty differences that are not addressed and then end up blowing up into something that's larger and totally uncalled for. We have got to stay united. We have got to extend grace to each other. Refuse to take offense. Amen. Give people the benefit of the doubt. 
extend grace to them. Somebody's maybe just says something, maybe they're just having a bad day. You don't know. Give them some grace. Our creed, uh, now this actually, this is sort of interesting when I did some research on this, but this, this quote was never actually said anywhere in real life. Um, but it was sort of the de facto creed of NASA's mission control during all of their space missions. Now it got, it became popularized in the movie Apollo 13 um, when the guy who was the uh, head of mission control at that time uttered the quote, failure is not an option, right? He basically said America has never lost an individual in a space mission and it's not happening on my watch. Failure is not an option. Okay. He didn't actually say that. That was sort of Hollywood. But that was sort of the credo that they operated under in mission control. That we need to figure this out. Failure is not an option. United we stand. Divided we fail. Simple as that. And then finally, we are here for such a time as this. Now, in the Old Testament book of Esther, um, there is a story. Uh, well, I guess it really is a story. Esther is a Jew, all right, and she's beautiful. And she is um, selected for a, a place in the king's harem because of her beauty. And so she and all the other ladies in the harem go through this very intense six-month process of being made more beautiful, you know, taking baths and lo using lotions and perfumes and all this stuff before they actually get to be with the king. So when, it, when it's time to, for Esther to take her turn, the king is just enamored with her. And he lo ended up loving her more than all of the others and gave her the honor of being queen. So she names Esther to be his queen. So, um, without going through the whole thing, a series of events happens, and the Jews are facing extinction through some evil doings. And um, Esther's, I guess it's really her, kind of a, her adoptive father, um, his name is Mordecai, and he through a he can't really meet with Esther because she's part of the you know the royal family but through a series of intermediaries he gets word to her that she needs to intervene with the king well the problem with that is in those times you were not allowed to approach the king without him asking for you and it was a it was a breach of etiquette that was punishable by death. So you were risking your life to go to the king unannounced. So Esther's not too crazy about Mordecai's idea. Like, I don't know, you know, I could, this could kill me. I think we need to come up with another plan. And Mordecai's response 
is probably the most well-known in the book of Esther, and it's one of, I think, many people's favorites in, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, in verses 12 through 14, he says this. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said about the whole, you die if you go to the king thing. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now if we look back to verse 18, Paul's explaining to the Corinthians that it was God who arranged the parts of the body. And in like fashion, I believe God has arranged the parts of this body. For all of us to be here in this place at this time. He has put all of us here for such a time as this. We need to have the very same boldness that Esther exhibited. When despite the risk of death, she did go ahead and approach the king. And she saved the Jewish people in the process, kept them from extinction. And as a side note, ended up destroying Mordecai's en enemy, Haman, all at the same time. Guys, we can do this. God has already gone before us, and he's done the hard part. All we've got to do is tell people about it. With our words and with our actions. God brought us together as a family. God, or excuse me, as a body. God brought us together as a body. God has knit us together as a family. And all that we have to do is to do what bodies and families do naturally, reproduce. Bodies reproduce cells. Families reproduce human beings. For us, it's disciples. We need to reproduce disciples. We are here for such a time as this. To wrap this up, it's time for us to stop acting like the candles in Max Lucado's story. Jesus has called us to be the light. And we can't do that by sticking in the closet, unlit. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot, cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father 
who is in heaven. Church, it is time to shine. And so this week, I want you to ponder this question. How are you hiding your light? And how can you start letting it shine? What ways are you hiding your light and how can you start letting it shine? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you have created with all of us here at this church. And I thank you that you have put in me this desire to advance your kingdom. Father, you know I have asked you on more than one occasion, Lord, why now? Why not ten years ago? And Father, all you tell me is that it wasn't time then, but it is time now. And so, Lord, we commit to being obedient to you. We will go where you tell us to go. We will do what you tell us to do. We will pray for who you tell us to pray for. Help us in that regard. Put people in our path that are already hungry to hear about you. Set us up, Lord. We talk about the fact that sometimes you set us up. Well, I'm asking for you to set us up. I'm asking that every time we turn around, we bump into somebody that is ripe to hear about you and your kingdom. So we thank you in advance for doing that and pray that you would give us not just the boldness to speak out, but the words as well. Be it, let it be such that all we have to do is open our mouths and exactly what comes out is what these people need to hear. We don't even really have to think about it. Let us go forth and make disciples and advance your kingdom. And we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.